Welcome to Dayspring Church Online, where we share the message of hope all over the world. Our prayer is that this podcast will help you live a more fulfilling life with God at the center. For more information on how you can take part, visit us at dayspringpc.org. Today we're going to be wrapping up our series um, that we've titled The End. We have been talking about the events in the end of time. And uh, we're going to wrap it up today because next week we're actually starting a new series called Christmas Is. Anybody ready for Christmas? Anybody ready for Christmas? Come on. You know, and let me tell you something. I am really excited about this series. Next week, I'm because see, when we talk about Christmas, I don't know what Christmas is for you. Maybe Christmas for you is family time. Maybe it's about the gifts. Maybe it's about the vacation. Anybody enjoy the time off after Christmas Day all the way to New Year's? Anybody get that? Right? That's an awesome time. Maybe some of you guys enjoy decorating your house with all the Christmas ornaments. And all that stuff is good and dandy. And I would encourage you to keep doing that. But I think there's more to Christmas. I think there's some things about Christmas that we often oversee that if we um, would just focus on them, they would change our life around. Like, for example, Christmas is a time to expect. Did you know that? It's a time to get excited about something new that God can do. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the things that you can expect God to do. Also, Christmas is the light for our dark days. If you're going through some dark days, Christmas is the light for our dark days. On uh, December 10th, if I I have my dates correctly, we're going to have Nate Andrews. He's a Christian psychologist. He's going to be with us on a Sunday, and he's going to talk to us about how to comfort people in need. Like, if you've ever had a loved one that's maybe lost a friend or, or, or maybe they lost their job or maybe they are going through a divorce, um, one thing that I hear a lot is, I don't know what to say, pastors. Like, what do I say? He's going to be here with us, and he's going to show us what do we do? What do we say? How do we approach it? What words can we use? What words do we need to stay away from? And uh, this is going to be an exciting series. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. But today we're going to wrap up our series on the end. And I want to start with a joke before we go into today's message. I'm going to teach a little bit, then I'm going to preach up a storm. Is that okay? Is that okay? All right. I'll tell you a joke, then we'll pray just to, to get you, because I gave you a lot of announcements. So a little boy had been misbehaving, and his mom sent him to his room. After a while, he emerged and informed his mother that he had thought it over and had also prayed. The mom said, good, son. If you ask God to help you not misbehave, he'll help you. Oh, no, mommy. I didn't ask him to help me not misbehave. I asked him to help you put up with me. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have given to us. Lord, as we go into your word, I pray that by the end of it, we would know you better. We would pray that not only our mind would be able to comprehend you a little bit better, but most importantly, that our heart would know you better, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your word today would encourage us, that it would make a difference in our life, Lord. And whatever uh, distractions, whatever excuses um, that may want to pop into our head, Lord, I pray that you would help us to concentrate and embrace what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. 
Well, um, throughout this series, our aim has not been to alarm or to scare you, but it, has been, but it has been to awaken you to the reality of what will happen one day and uh, to get you to, to be ready. I think that's the most important thing about uh, speaking about the end of times. It's not that we would just understand the timeline, and I'm going to share a timeline with you in just a minute, but most importantly is that we would be ready. Because I've said this to you, what good would it be for you to be able to understand the events that will happen in the end times if you are not ready when the Lord returns? So that has been our desire. My desire as your pastor has been that you would understand these events a little bit more so that some of the mysticism that is um, in this topic would, would disappear and uh, also to encourage you to, 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 to make you aware that, that we need to be ready. So last week, Angel did a good job. Didn't he do a great job? By the way, I was in here. I was in Mission Hills. We are one family and as you know, a few months ago, they lost their pastor, Pastor Julio. And uh, so as a team of pastors, we've been, we've been helping that congregation. So keep them in prayer. Um, and when you don't see me here, I am not on vacations, okay? Because some people tell me, Pastor, you take a lot of vacations. No, trust me. I only take two Sundays off for vacation. If I'm not here on a Sunday, I'm preaching somewhere else, okay? But this is the place I love to be. You guys are my family, okay? You guys are, are it. And uh, last week, Angel began to talk about what's going to happen after the rapture, and he specifically spoke about the rewards that we are going to receive when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I want to do today is I want us to look at what heaven is going to be like after the rapture. Have you ever wondered, what is heaven going to be like? And I want us to read a short uh, passage to help us um, understand a little bit of what heaven is like, but also to be able to grab some truths that I believe can help you today. But before I do that, I want to show you a timeline of the events um, when it comes to the end of times. And um, my hope is that by seeing a picture of it, you would be able to understand it better. Because I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of you are saying, I know there's going to be a rapture and a beast, and I know there's going to be a big war, but I really can't put all that together, okay? So I'm just going to give you a quick one, a quick timeline, okay? So this is where we are right now. This is the present age, okay? This is, this is us, and we spoke about that in one of the weeks. The next event that is going to take place is the rapture. Okay, this is where those that have placed their faith in Jesus meet the Lord in the clouds and we come up here to heaven. Okay, this is the resurrection of believers in the rapture. Only those that have placed their faith in Jesus are resurrected from the dead and we are carried off to heaven. Now, while we are in heaven, there's something going on on earth. I know you guys know what's going on down here. The great tribulation, right? How long does it last? Seven years. And it's divided into two parts, right? It's divided into three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of what? Chaos, right? Who rules during this time? The Antichrist. Right. Now, those, and I think one of the saddest things that will happen is the realization of those that thought that they were good with Jesus 
but got left behind in the rapture. Those that, that, that had a faith that was lukewarm or a baby's faith. And, and imagine that realization of saying, I knew what it took, but I never took it seriously. And they're going to have to endure the tribulation. Now, one of the questions that a lot of people have is, are people going to be able to be saved during the tribulation? And the answer is yes. We believe that people are going to be able to be saved during the tribulation, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, two things that are going to happen that most likely are going to have to happen in order for someone that remains in the tribulation to be saved. Number one, they're going to have to refuse the mark of the beast. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? Well, without that, you will not be able to buy or live. Picture this. Picture being in a legal in the United States and not being able to do anything legally. It's going to be worse than that. You won't be able to purchase food for your kids. You will not be able to uh, rent a home. You will not be able to buy a car. You will not be able to do anything without the mark of the beast. And in order to be saved, you're going to have to refuse that. In fact, I have a verse. Can we show it up here really quick? It's Revelations uh, 14.9. Look at what it says. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or, whom accept, or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Okay, the other thing that is going to happen to those that want to be saved during this time is that most likely they're going to have to give up their life. They're going to be killed for their faith. So here's what I'm saying. You think it's hard to be a follower of Jesus now? It's going to be harder then. So here's my advice to all of us. Let's get on with the game. Let's take it serious. Let's not wait for, ah, well, you know, I'll just wait here. Once, once I know he's for real, it's going to get a lot harder. It's going to get a lot harder. Look at, um, um, I have another verse uh, where it talks about uh, one of the ways that, that uh, those that stay behind that want to follow Jesus, are, what, what they're going to have to endure. It says, then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and they were rejoined with Christ for a thousand years. Okay? So you don't want to be down here. And we believe that the church is not going to be on earth while this happens. Now, here's the really good news. For those of us that believe in Jesus, we are going to be in heaven, and two things are going to happen in heaven. The first is the seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, where we are rewarded for the things we did here. That's what Angel spoke about last Sunday. What you do today matters. When you teach the kids, that matters. When you clean the carpet, that matters. When you give towards the homeless, that matters. And all the things that we did will be rewarded in heaven during this time. Then after that, we have the wedding supper of the Lamb. Why the lamb? Because Jesus is described as the lamb of God. And basically what this is, this is a big old celebration. That's where we get to enjoy just being with God. And we're going to have a big old celebration. But then down here, after the seven years, there's a big battle. And it's the battle of Armageddon. 
And that is where the beast gathers the armies of the world and they go after Israel and they try and destroy Israel. And that is where you have the glorious return. That is where Jesus comes back and every eye sees him and he defeats and destroys the beast, the antichrist and the false prophet. And after that, we have the millennium. And this is where Jesus rules for a thousand years. By the way, we come down with Jesus on his glorious return. In his first in the rapture, Jesus comes for us. In the glorious return, we come back with him. And we rule with Jesus for a thousand years. During this a thousand years, Satan is bound. Satan is tied. And the earth enjoys of peace. The earth enjoys of prosperity. The earth enjoys of true justice. Because the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, rules the earth. And after a thousand years, then we have the great white throne. Ah. I'm trying to write fast. We have the great white throne, and that is where, where people that did not believe in Jesus will stand before Jesus to be judged. And it is at this place where their destiny is going to be determined. Not only is Satan and his demons will be judged, but also those that, that, that rejected, that refused to accept Jesus as their Lord, and they will be casted into the lake of fire. Then after this, after the great white throne, we have new earth and a new heaven. And that's eternity. That's where we stay with Jesus forever and ever. There is no after that. We get to be with him forever and ever. So there is a little quick, <laughs> not too detailed um, timeline of what uh, the events and the end of time will be. Perhaps in the future, um, we could do another series and look more in detail in the uh, Great Tribulation, the Millennium, and the New Earth. But what I want to do today is I want us to look at uh, Revelations chapter 4, and I didn't put it in your outline, um, but if you have your Bibles with you, um, if you can turn them on or turn them to Revelations chapter 4, if you have the digital app of the Bible, um, I am going to be reading off the ERV version, the um, easy to read version, um, just because the language there is simpler for us to understand. Um, and I want us to look at the beautiful scenery that is taking in place after the rapture. There's, there's, there's a beautiful description of heaven, but there's also some inspiring truths that can help us today. And I love this passage because there's one commandment in the book of Revelation that makes all the difference in the book of Revelations. And that commandment is the commandment to behold, to look. That is the commandment that makes all the difference. And to behold, is, it's to observe, to look with intent, to look with, with, with detail. And one of the things that God invites us as we study the end of times is to behold, to consider, not just to, oh, okay, that's fine. No, no, no. But to look and to examine and to study and to reflect. And, and I think that this command is, is the difference between the natural and the supernatural, that this command is the difference between what is possible and what is supernatural. This is the
the difference between what is ordinary and what is extraordinary, what is amazing. And many of us do not comprehend the spiritual. Many of us cannot experience the supernatural. Many of us do not have extraordinary lives because we are failing to behold. I mean, we're glancing. Yeah, we come to church and, and, and maybe we got a few verses hanging in our, in our living room and we're glancing. I mean, we got an idea, but we're not beholding. We're not, we're not, we're not sitting down to say, okay, let me get serious about this. Let me, let, let me, let me see how true it is. Let me, let me try to experience it. And I believe that that makes all the difference. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about beholding four things that I believe not only can change any situation, but most importantly, can change your life. I don't know how you're doing. I don't know if you're satisfied. I don't know if you're, if you're cruising by. I don't know if you're just kind of making it on a wing or a pray, and a prayer. I don't know if you're dragging your feet. But let me tell you something. There's four things that we find in this passage that if we behold, that if we look for, they will change whatever situation you're in and they will change your life. The passage is not there because it's a little uh, extensive. I'm going to read it to you, and then um, I'm going to tell you about those four things if I have time, okay? Because I'm looking at the time, and I should have been ahead already. Well, let, let, let's go there. Revelations 4, you, you have it? Look at what he says. Uh, by the way, John, the Apostle John, is the one who writes the book of Revelations. And you got to cut him some slack, okay? Because he's about to try to describe the indescribable. He's about to try to describe God and the presence of God. It reminds me of a little boy says that, 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 that a pastor was preaching and the little boy was sitting in the first row. And the pastor noticed that the, that the little boy was just going at it out of paper and he was drawing. And, and he got, the pastor was so distracted by it that he stopped and he said, son, what are you doing there? And he says, I'm... I'm drawing God. And he says, but nobody knows what God looks like. And he says, they will after I'm done. <laughs> so let's cut some John some slack, okay? He's trying to describe the indescribable. Look at what he says. Then I looked, and there before me was an open door in heaven, and I heard the same voice that spoke to me before. It was the voice that sounded, it was the voice that sounded like a trumpet. It said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. That is why we believe, I already told you, that's why we believe the church will not be in the tribulation. If you want to know more about that, we have our podcast. You can listen to past messages. If you don't know how to use a podcast, come by the sound room. They'll set it up on your phone. It's really easy, and it's free, okay? Some of you guys think it's not free. It is free. Um, he says, verse 2, Immediately the Spirit took control of me, and there in heaven was a throne with someone sitting on it. The one sitting there was as beautiful as precious stones, like jasper and carnelian. All around the throne was a rainbow with clear colors like an emerald. In a circle around the throne were 24 other thrones with 24 elders sitting on them. The elders were dressed in white and they had golden crowns on their heads. Lightning flashes and noises of thunder came from the throne. Before the throne, there were seven lamps burning, which are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was something that looked like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. In front of the throne and on each side of it, there were four living beings. 
So John here is describing the beauty of, of heaven, of, of what it's like. And he speaks about a rainbow and he speaks about a sea of glass and he speaks about jewels. And, and he, he's trying to take what he knows to describe what he's seen and hasn't seen before. Look at what verse 6 says. Uh, verse 7, I'm sorry. The first living being was like a lion. The second was, the, the second was like a bull. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living beings had six wings. They were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God all-powerful. He always was, He is, and He is coming. These living beings were giving glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. And every time they did this, the 24 elders bowed down before the one who sits on the throne. They worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They put their crowns down before the throne and said, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You made all things Everything existed and was made because you wanted it. I know that if this is your first time reading a passage of Revelations, you're like, that's a, that's a creepy, weird story. The book of Revelations is very symbolic. There's a lot of symbols. There's, you, you have to remember this. John, John, a long time ago, was trying to describe things that did not exist in his days. He's trying to describe things that are indescribable with the things that he knows. So what I want to do is I want to look, and, and, and really we could do a whole series on this short uh, passage, but I just want to look at four elements, four things that I want to encourage you to behold, and I want to tell you why you need to behold them. The first thing that I want to encourage you to behold in your life is, and fill this out in your outline, an open door. The first thing that we look, the first thing that we behold is an open door. Verse 1 says, and it's right there in your outlines, Then I look, and there before me was an open door in heaven. Now, pastor, what's the big deal with this open door? Well, this is significant because open doors symbolize the entrance to new things and new possibilities. See, difficulties, stress, problems, discouragement are associated with closed doors. And when John is writing this letter, here's what you need to know. When John is writing this letter, the church is being persecuted. The church is being killed. And John writes to them and he says, there's a door from heaven. There's an open door from heaven. And, and these are the good news. The good news is that God has an open door from heaven for you. Your blessing, your breakthrough, your healing, your victory, your peace, your family, your dreams, your fresh start, your abundant life are on the other side of a door. And see, the, the reason we don't, we don't get those things is because we are not looking for the door. If you are in a bad season, if you are in a, perf, in a painful time, or you're against the biggest, darkest mountain you face so far in your life, I want to tell you that there is a door from heaven for you. Because God always makes provision. Amen. You are not in any circumstance where God doesn't have an answer, where God doesn't have an exit. And I know some stuff gets difficult, and I know some stuff looks really impossible. But let me tell you, before there was a problem, there was a door. 
Before there was a need, there was a door. Before there was an issue, there was a door. And if you look for the door, you can find your breakthrough. You can find your new opportunity. You can find the provision of God for your life. See, look at what John wrote. The guy, the same guy that wrote the book of Revelations, also wrote a biography of Jesus. Okay? It's called the Gospel of John. And look at what he says regarding Jesus. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. And this is Jesus speaking. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. Here, here's the imagery behind this, uh, this verse. He's saying, I am the door. Whoever goes through me finds security and finds prosperity. Whoever goes through me finds what they need and finds success and see the problem is the problem is that we often are looking for doors instead of looking for the door because i i know what you're already thinking well master how do i know what the door is i mean it's really really simple you find jesus you find your door you find jesus you'll find your door find jesus in your need and you'll find your provision Find Jesus in your problem and you'll find the answer. Find Jesus in your question and you'll get the answer. You find Jesus and you'll find the door from heaven for you. Listen, God never promised a pain-free life. Never. I'm still looking for the verse that says that we will, not, that we will have an easygoing life. If you, do, if you don't want to be a Christian or if you want to be a Christian because you want your life to be easy, that's not what the Christian life is about. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay? Jesus never promised a pain-free life. If pain is drawing you away from Jesus, you got, you're beholding the wrong thing. Here's what God did promise. He promised to always be with us. He promised to walk with us. In fact, look at what uh, 1 Corinthians 10, um, I forgot to put the, the scripture, I put the verse, but not the scripture, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10, 3 or 33, but look at what it says. But God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much, and he will show you how to escape your temptation. God specializes in opening doors, in bringing new things, in creating new possibilities. So, so here's the question for you this morning. Anybody need a door right now? Anybody? Am I the only one that needs a door? See, you find Jesus and you'll find your door. If you want a breakthrough, if you want to change, behold, there is a door from heaven. Now, there's two other doors that the book of Revelation speaks about that are connected to what we're talking about. The first one is the open door of evangelism. The, the book of Revelations also speaks of an open door regarding sharing our faith. Look at what Revelations 3.8 says right there in your outlines. It says, I know what you do. I have put before you an open door that no one can close. I know that you are weak, but you have followed my teachings. You were not afraid to what? Okay, I'm about to tell you something that should rock your world and bring down your squirrel. Okay? You are God's door to somebody. 
You are the door from heaven to somebody. Okay? You are here, you and I, we're here today because somebody was not afraid to tell us about the love of Christ and we were presented a door and we walked through the door and it has changed our lives. I want to tell you something. Not only is there a door from heaven for you, but you are a door from heaven for somebody. And we got to share our faith because there's people that need Jesus. Reminds me of the joke that says that a Christian barber felt convicted by the Holy Spirit that he needed to begin to share his faith a little bit more. So he made the commitment and said, I'm going to start sharing my faith more. This is the, the next morning. He got up early in the morning and he prayed and he said, God, the first person that walks through my doors, I am going to tell them about your love. When he got to work, within minutes, one guy walked in and he said he needed to, to, to be shaved. The barber tells him, would you go ahead and grab your seat? I'm going to go to the back and grab some blades and, and I'll take care of you. The barber goes to the back uh, uh, room and he gives a quick prayer and he says, he says, Lord, would you give me the wisdom to share your love with this individual? He grabs his Bible grabs the blade, walks out, and he says, I got a question for you. Are you ready to die today? <laughs> we also have to be wise about how we share our faith. But the point is that we got to share our faith. I want to tell you something. See, a few, a few weeks back, I told you that, that I want you to do a prayer that I've been praying. God, would you love somebody through me? God, would you love somebody through me? And I began to hear stories of how challenging, but how much of a blessing that prayer has been. And one of the best ways that we can love somebody is to tell them about the love of Christ for them. Christ has changed your life, has changed my life. We are the door from heaven to somebody. Let's not close it. The second door that the book of Revelation speaks about is the door to your heart. In Revelations 3.20, look at what it says. Listen. I am standing and knocking at your door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will eat together. Here's the question. Have you opened the door to your heart for Jesus? Because see, we're really good at asking him for stuff. And he doesn't mind giving it to us. But he wants to have a relationship with us. And he knocks at the door of our heart. And he says, here I am knocking. And I want to tell you something. God has been knocking at every door. God has been knocking at every person. And the question now becomes, have you opened the door? Or better said, what doors have you kept close from Jesus? Is it the door to your friendships? Is it the door to your finances? Is it the door to your vocabulary? Is it the door to your social life? Is it the door to your purity? Is it the door to your career? Is it the door to your TV preferences? Is it the door to a bad habit? Because yes, there is a door, a provision from heaven for our needs, for our troubles. But there's also a loving Lord who stands at our door and he knocks and he says, I want to come in. Would you let me in? So the first thing we behold is a door from heaven. Find Jesus and you'll find your door. The second thing to behold, and you can fill this out in your outlines, is the throne. Is the throne. Not only is there a door, 
But there's a throne. And in verse 2, we read the following. He says, immediately the spirit took control of me. And there in heaven was a throne with someone sitting on it. What's the big deal about a throne? Well, a throne is symbolic of power, authority, and control. This is also good news to us and to the people that received the letter of John. As I mentioned, they were, going, they were being persecuted. The, the Roman throne was persecuting them. And John, God tells John to let them know that there is a higher throne than the throne of Rome that there is a higher power, that there is a higher authority. And God wants me to remind you today that there is a higher power than the darkness that attacks your life. Whatever your position is, whatever your situation is, there is a throne in heaven that has the last word in your life. It's not the doctor. It's not the lawyer. It's not the landlord. It's not your boss. It's not your wife. It's not the bank. It's not the school or anyone else. It is the throne in heaven that has the last word. And this throne is above all other thrones. It is, it is an authority in heaven over every authority. And it is a power in heaven above every power. And here's the beautiful thing. It is available to you and me. It is a power. It is a throne. It is an authority that is available to you and me. Look at what Hebrews 14, 6, 16 says. It says, so whenever, when, whenever, whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before, before what? Before the throne. See, you can be held back by human authority or you can behold the throne of heaven and cling to its authority. You know why many of us are stressed? You know why many of us are depressed? You know why many of us are dragging our feet through life? Because we've allowed a throne to determine our life when we should come to the throne and cling to its authority and say, it is what you say that I'm going to cling to and not what others have to say. See, I know if we're honest, if we're honest, I, the reason I didn't hear a lot of amens or a lot of claps or even a lot of nods, uh, we're a Pentecostal church and we don't, we don't say a lot of amen and all that stuff, but I, I, I get your nods. That's, that's like our, our thing here, nods, right? The reason I didn't get a lot of nods or even elbows is because we don't like the idea of a throne. We don't like it. We especially do not like the idea of one throne above every other throne, especially as Americans, right? We distribute power. We disperse authority. And, and I'm with you. I'm with you because historically as human beings, we haven't done well with people in thrones. They have turned out to be tyrants, dictators, and thrones, for you and me, are synonymous of abuse. But let me tell you something. This throne is different. This throne is different. And the reason it's different is because the one who sits on it is different. The one who sits on it is madly in love with you. The one who sits on it is thinking about you. The one who sits on it created you and desires a relationship with you. The one who sits on it is humble 
The one who sits on it is kind. See, I get it. We have a hard time with thrones. Because whenever we put a human being in a throne, we can expect abuse. But the throne in heaven is held by somebody that is different than the people we've put in thrones. And here's the thing you got to know. He loves you. And he doesn't rule with iron or, or force. He rules with love and kindness. The second part of Hebrews 14.6 says the following. It says, our merciful God. He says that we can come to the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with underserved kindness and we will find what? Help. The throne that you look for. What is the throne that you look for in your time of need? What throne are you going to? Are you going to the throne of money? Maybe if I can just get more money, things will be better. Or maybe to the throne of self-indulgence. And if I just had that iPhone X, I think I'd be okay. Or what about the throne of pride? Now, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to pull through. I'm going to make it. And you can't sleep at night. And you've got all kinds of disturbing emotions going on, but your pride is the throne that you go to. Or what about the throne of anger and revenge? When we are in need, we look for somebody to blame and for somebody to pay. Well, what throne are you beholding? I want to challenge you to behold the throne in heaven where you'll find mercy, where you'll find the authority, where you'll find the one that loves you. The third thing that we behold, and they told me I only have five minutes, so I guess we're not going to finish. Is that okay? <laughs> Somebody said yes. <laughs> Is that you, Aaron? Okay. <laughs> the rainbow. The third thing you behold is the rainbow. Let me, let me hurry up and finish. The third thing we behold is the rainbow. Verse 3, right there in your outlines, look at what it says. The one sitting there was beautiful as precious stones, like jasper and carnelian. All around the throne was a rainbow with clear colors like an emerald. What's the big deal with the rainbow? The rainbow is a symbol of God's faithfulness to his promises. Remember the promise that he made to Noah? Where he said, I am going to set a rainbow as a reminder that I will never destroy the earth with water again. And let me tell you something. God's promises are eternally secure for us, no matter how impossible they may seem. So you behold the rainbow. You behold God's promises. See, God will be faithful to fulfill the promises that he has made. That's why the third thing that we behold is the rainbow. Look at what Numbers 23, 19 says right there in your outlines. God is no mere human. He doesn't tell lies or change his mind. God always keeps his promises. Okay, have you noticed that when it comes to the future, we hardly ever get excited about it? What do we do more when it comes to the future? We stress. We worry about it. What if I get fat and he doesn't like me anymore? What if I lose my job? What if we don't grow? What if I lose my house? What if I go to school and I don't, and I don't get in? Let me tell you something. Behold the promises of God. Because if there's one thing that is sure, 
is that God will do what He promised. You can build your life around God's promises because He's going to fulfill them. I'm building my life around God's promises. I, I, I am concerned about the future of my daughters. I'm not afraid because I know God will fulfill His promises. And I, I already see... The other day, I was feeling so down that I, I said, I got to go, go do my devotional. You know what's the day I don't, I, I skip my devotional the most? Sundays, ironically, right? But last Sunday, I felt like I needed to, I just was feeling down, don't know why. Um, and I went to go do my devotional. And Maisie came and laid beside me. And she said, Dad, can, can I also read the Bible with you? And I don't know who puts those little books in the back, but she loves those. She's got a collection of those at our house. And uh, I was reading the Bible, doing my devotional. And then she looks over to me and she says, Dad, are you preparing your preaching? Because I'm preparing my preaching. <laughs> and I said, Maisie, you want to preach? She's like, yeah, I want to preach like you preach. And I go, what are you going to tell people? That Jesus loves them and that Jesus is God. I said, Lord, I'm hanging on to that promise. I'm hanging on to that promise, and I'm not going to force my daughter to do that. But I am going to put my eyes on Jesus. I am going to behold his promise and say, I'm going to build my life around your promises. See, you can keep your peace in the midst of life's storms because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Are you going through a storm right now? Here's what God promises. God promises to make a way. Hold on to that. Say, God, you're going to fulfill your promise. Are you struggling financially? God has promised that if we put him first, that he will open the floodgates of heaven for us. And if you have been giving to God and you are in need, let me tell you something. God will fulfill his promise. So you behold God's promises. Here's the other thing about God's promises. God's promises... God's faithfulness to his promise gives us freedom. Did you know that? Because when my focus is on his promises, I don't have to worry about measuring up. See, here's what the word of God says. It says that he who began the good work in me is going to finish it. Okay? So I don't have to be measuring up to other pastors. I don't have to be measuring up to other people because I am believing that he began what is going on in my life and he's going to finish it. So it gives me freedom. See, you don't have to fear the unknown because God's promises will give you a solid foundation. You can have peace over what you can control because God has promised to always be with us and to never forsake us because God is faithful to his promises promises. So what promises do you need to start beholding? And then last but not least, last but not least, you behold the four living beings. You behold the four living beings. I'm not going to read the passage because I am short in time. Um, but if you recall, it says that there were four beings around the throne of God. And that they had six wings and, and they had eyes in every part of, the, of their body. One of them was, had the face of an eagle. The other one had the face of a lion. The other one had the face of an ox. And the other one had the face of a man. And I know what you're asking is, who are these beings? Well, um, let me give you two possible options, okay? The first option, um, it is believed that, the, that these four beings are, are a high or the highest order of angels. 
the language that the language in the imagery that is used here is similar that is similar to that used in the Bible to describe high-ranking angels. So it's possible that these four beings are the highest order of angels. The second option is that the number four speaks of creation. Number four is the sign, uh, is the number of creation. And the eagle is the mightiest of all birds. The bull or the ox is the mightiest of all domestic animals. The lion is the mightiest of all wild animals. And man is the mightiest of them all. And they all stand under the throne of God. As a symbol that all of creation is under God. This is the one that I subscribe to. Now, who they are is not as important as what they do. We're intrigued by who they are. Six wings? I six. I would settle for one, right? But who they are is not as important as what they do. Here's what they do. They continuously worship God. They're having a worship service that never ends. These four beings invite us into a life of worship. The fourth thing you behold, listen to this, is a decision to worship in any and every situation. I want to ask you a question. Who's getting your worship? Something or someone's getting your worship. We were created to worship, not to be worshipped. We were created to, to worship. Who is getting your worship? It may be your kids. It may be your job. It may be your phone. Something or someone is getting your worship. So what I want to challenge you to do, what I want to encourage you to behold, is to worship God. To say, listen, I may be going through persecution. I may be in a time of need. I may not, not, no, not, I may not know what to do with this rebellious kid. I may not know what to do with my husband. But I am going to choose to worship you know why you worship? Give the Lord a round of applause. Let me tell you why you worship. Let me tell you why you should worship, okay? And by the way, when I'm talking about worship, I'm not just talking about singing, but let's use the idea of singing. You know why you worship? Because worship draws you closer to God and allows you to know him better. I don't know about you, but if I got a need and I am closer to God, I got better chances. I don't know about you, but if I am mad at Lorena or Lorena is mad at me, it's a lot harder to stay mad if I am worshiping. If I got a need and something is aching in my heart, it's a lot harder to have a pity party for myself if I am worshiping God. See, and when you worship, you draw closer to God and you get to know God more. And you know what happens in return? You want to worship more. Because when you know who God is, loving, powerful, and who you are, sinful, wicked, and weak, then all you can do is worship. See, when you know God, and when you've experienced, I mean, there's, there's some of us, there's some of us, I'd love to be able to say all of us, but, but I, I don't believe that, okay? I want to believe that. There's some of us that we've experienced the sweet presence of God. I mean, I'm talking where you're singing, but you're not focused on the words. 
I'm talking where your heart is overwhelmed with the peace of God that it almost feels like you're in heaven. I'm talking about that kind of worship that, 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 that there's a need in your life, but for that moment it doesn't matter because there's something greater that is fulfilling your life. And see, when you've experienced that, I had a, a Bible school professor who, who told us this, and I know there's some kids here, so cover their ears, okay? A Bible school professor told me this. He says, the two greatest experiences that as humans we can experience is that of intimacy and that of the presence of God. And he says, that of being intimate does not compare to being in the presence of God. I want to tell you something. Behold that you have an opportunity to worship. See, because when you understand that, you don't need somebody to tell you to worship. When you understand you got a choice and that it's good for you, you'll do it on your own. That means I could have a need and I can still show up and lift my hands and connect with God. Look at, look, look at what Psalms, look at what Psalms 22, 3 says. But you are holy, you who inhabits the praises of Israel. In any and every situation, you can do one of two things. You ready for this? You can worry or you can worship. And I've discovered what worry looks like in our church, or at least in your life. Because I've been watching y'all. Okay? Here's, here's what worry looks like. You know what we do? We complain. So you got two options. You're either going to complain or you're going to worship. Stick of his own. Why didn't I listen to my mom? You can complain or you can worship and say, Lord, my husband and I, we need you, Lord. My husband and I, we need you, Lord. You can complain about your kids and say, they, they, we raised them in the Lord, and now all they want to do is be on that dumb Snapchat and just be out all night. Or you can worship God. And you can say, you are faithful. I will build my life around you, Lord. I will build my life around your love. It is a secure foundation. So which one are you doing? Are you complaining? Or are you worshiping? Four things that we behold that change every situation, but also change our life. Would you bow your head with me?